Bannon. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action. Guys, gals, just in case you forgot, you are listening right now to the Restaurant Fiction Podcast. Of all of the film, TV, and pop culture podcasts out there, this is the one that deep dives into every single fictional restaurant, bar, and club, like the Moss Eisley Cantina and Cheers. That's Restaurant Fiction. You get it? Good. Oh, and we talk about the screenwriting and writing process. We're an intersection, interconnection delta that combines many things we love, like food, writing, TV, and film. Then mashes them with some butter, puts them through a sieve like Joel Robuchon's famous potatoes, and mashes them all over again. I'm your host, Monis Rose. Today is Wednesday, and today's guest is Ben Blacker. Who is Ben Blacker? Well, He's one of the pioneers of the screenwriting podcast and has popularized it with his very own The Writer's Panel. Even before you listen to this, click us off and download every episode on that channel. Besides The Writer's Panel, alongside his, with his writing partner, Ben Acker, he has written episodes for TV shows like Supernatural and Puss in Boots, comic books like Hex Wives, young adult novels like Star Wars, Join the Resistance, and the very reason why he is here, the old-time radio show, The Thrilling Adventure Hour. You see, in the future, on the many different planets in our solar system, there might not be a restaurant or club, but there sure is shit going to be a saloon. And Ben knows all about the saloon, or at least a particular saloon on Mars called the Space Saloon. Okay, too much exposition. Here's our review of the Space Saloon and our interview. With Ben Blacker. Go. Guys, restaurant fiction. We like all kinds of taverns. We like all kinds of bars. We like all kinds of saloons. And what do I mean by that? I mean by going back, we like saloons from the 1850s, but we also like saloons a thousand years in the future. Yes. Do we have the power to do that? Well, guess what? At Restaurant Fiction, we do. We have loads and loads of backers, funders, scientists to do that. As long as it means we are going to get a good drink. That is right. So where did we go? We went to Mars, a thousand years in the future. And you see, one thing about not just our Earth, but the entire solar system, the entire universe, no matter where you go, you will always be needing a good drink. Now, where did we find ourselves? We found ourselves on Mars in a place called the Space Saloon. What do we like about saloons in particular, especially the Space Saloon? Well, they welcome locals, but they also welcome the wafering stranger. You see, you know, when we're from another place, we don't know where to go. The first place we are going to look is the saloon. And we might get a little loose. Plus, 
we might experience other people getting a little loose and hear the gossip. The main person to hear the gossip in the space saloon, of course, is the barkeep. If you want to know who the who's who is, what is going on, the gossip, the bureaucrats, you know, who doesn't like who, you go to the barkeep. Of course, you know, this is a little more interesting of a saloon. Number one is there is an AI presence. They have automatic doors. There is um, this technological... Um, it's not trickery. It's actually a very organic method of this bar, but still it is grounded. It is grounded. It is real. It feels almost like you're back in Deadwood, you know, or back in uh, whatever 1800 saloon you were in or your grand, grand, grandpappy was in. Other differences of the space saloon. Instead of a jukebox, there is a piano. It is a big, big deal. It's probably the cornerstone of this place. Let's talk about the drink for a second. We're going to move to the drink. The flavor and the quality of what the barkeep pours varies. You honestly, you might actually pick a bottle of something top shelf. You don't know if it's really going to be top shelf for, a, for us. We got three fingers of something neat and hard. It did taste a little bit like kerosene. You know, we another time we ordered something that was maybe bourbon, maybe wasn't. It was a little watered down, tasted like burnt sugar with prune juice. But you see, in the barkeep's defense, whatever trick gets either us at Restaurant Fiction or all who visit it loosey-goosey to spill the beans, well then, so be it. All right, so that is our little quick review of the Space Saloon from the Thrilling Adventure Hour series both the comic book series and also the live radio show. We are talking to the co-creator, Ben Blacker. What is your take on the Space Saloon, your opinion, what we got right, what we got wrong? What? Is some of that canon? <laughs> like, there's a lot in there that I was unaware of. I don't think we've ever talked about the drinks in the saloon, unless I'm forgetting. Have we? Did you pull that from the no, podcast? No, we, we just... Uh, figured that the barkeep keeps, um, just like in the old West days, they keep their elixirs private. They keep their mixology <laughs> private. So, you know, his, his whole goal was to eavesdrop and in whatever method possible, hopefully, I mean, usually it was just natural and bending his ear, but, you know, with a drink in their hand, with a drink with patrons hands, excuse me, it's a little more easy. It never occurred to me that Barkeep may have become a Barkeep just so he could liquor people up to get their stories. I, I think that's great. The majority of your writing is comedy. What, what is it about food and drink that mesh so well with comedy? Food makes us happy at our best. Food lifts us up. Food at its best is a spirit-lifting experience. And that does lend itself to laughing. It does lend itself to comedy, right? Food is communal. We gather around the table, whether it's at a restaurant or at home. And I think comedy is communal also. We would like to laugh with other people. I think the other part of that is technical. I think something like Friends, like Cheers, like Frasier, these shows that have a food place at the center of it or near the center of it is really just practical. It's let's get these characters out of their apartment. Let's get them somewhere where they can 
be among other humans, but still be together. In your other work, you wrote a graphic novel called Thrilling Adventure Hour Residence Evil. So, and also you wrote the comic book series Hex Wives. Both of these characters constantly drink. There's always something in their hand. Even on the front cover of one of the Hex Wives issues, you see one of our characters with a tall beverage in her hand. What point in develop in your developing process do you ask yourself, what are my characters eating and drinking? Especially say with the Frank and Sadie series and even yeah. with Hex Wives. Yeah, with Beyond Belief, which again was part of Thrilling Adventure Hour, so it was sort of baked into it, it was never even a conversation, as I recall, because the model for Beyond Belief is the Thin Man. And I think what people remember about the Thin Man is these are a husband and wife who solve mysteries and who drink. He just straight up stole that. <laughs> At a certain point with Frank and Sadie, it became the drinking became a metaphor. When we've pitched the show over the years, we talk about how like Frank and Sadie love each other, they love drinking, and that's it. These are not deep characters. And I think that's part of the fun of them, is they're very pure. And the drinking is really an extension of themselves. Every time they clink their glasses in a toast, that's them saying that they love each other. And same with Hex Wives. I guess it was sort of a natural extension of the premise of the book. Hexwives is about a bunch of witches who don't know that they are super powerful witches because they have been put under a spell and are forced to uh, enact this life in which they are 1960-style housewives. And so we looked, uh, the artist and I looked at stuff like Mad Men, as well as like movies like The Apartment, a lot of movies of the time. And a lot of these housewife characters <laughs> were drinking. Think about January Jones and Mad Men, or think about anybody in Mad Men, and you see them just drinking constantly, even at work, at home, whatever. I think that was kind of it, is, is you know, these characters wanting, not being really happy, though they thought they were happy, and the drink being a symbol of that. We're looking up on your IMDb page, includes uh, the TV drama... Super, and this is just the IMDb. This is nothing else. It includes a TV. Yeah, that's not going to tell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, what it does include, it says uh, the TV drama Supernatural, animated comedy Puss in Boots. Obviously, you've written uh, comic books, which we mentioned. You have an original, uh, an Audible original out now. You've done a live radio show, a Star Wars young adult fantasy. How do you maintain a consistent, varied career and not become pigeonholed in one genre? <laughs> Then in my career might be better if we could be pigeonholed. Uh, but <laughs> as it is, we get opportunities to write a lot of different kinds of things. And for us, it's always about just whatever the right medium for the story is. Thrilling Adventure Hour came about because we wanted to create something and we didn't have resources. If we could have made a short film at the time, we probably would have. But it was 2005. And what we knew how to do was to put on a show. So we put it, we wrote this hour-long stage radio show and we cast some great actors in it and we got lucky that everybody had fun doing it and we learned a lot about how to put on a show just by putting on a show. So that became our life for a long time. And out of that grew opportunities where we would 
write pilots and write comic books. We wrote a Star Wars novel, like you said, we this Audible series. I think Hexwives is a good example. When I conceived of that story, it wasn't a TV show. It wasn't a movie. There was only one way for me to tell this story the way I wanted to tell it, and that was as a comic book. And so I, you know, I was lucky in that we had just met some folks at DC, and so I pitched them the book, and they jumped on it immediately, which was very flattering. And I've gotten to do it, right? Like, I've gotten to do it the way it felt like it was supposed to be done, so now I feel like I can adapt it to another medium. The same with Thrilling Adventure Hour. We got to do that the way we wanted to do it. We couldn't have had more fun making that show. And it really, like I said, gave us a lot of opportunities outside of that realm. But if we're going to do more, let's do it as an animated series. You know, like, let's add the visuals that we never got to do because it was a stage show and a podcast. Likewise, the stuff that we've written for TV over the years exist only as TV. The pilots we sold, and we sold about a dozen of them, they could only be TV shows. There's no bringing them to other medium, with the exception of the Audible series that you mentioned, which Cut and Run is relationship comedy. It's about best friends who are kidney thieves and the havoc that wreaks on their individual love lives. And we originally, it was one of the first scripts Ben and I wrote We sold it as a TV show a couple of times and it never got made. And then Audible came around a couple of years ago because they had heard about it through friends and were like, do you want to do this? And so we, we hired a couple of writers. We wrote six episodes and it translated pretty well. We were a little surprised because we always thought it's a visual medium. It's hard to translate that to audio. But we also, especially 10, 15 years ago, used to write a lot more dialogue heavy. And including of your many projects, you uh, also worked on with your partner this Star Wars Join the Resistance series. Am I right? Yeah, we wrote three books, uh, three middle grade books for the Star Wars uh, universe. So obviously, the characters are probably too young to drink at the Moss Eisley Cantina. So what are they eating and drinking? Is it a space <laughs> umbrella? Like, like what? Because you know, Mos Eisley Cantina in uh, the Star Wars universe is one of the most famous uh, space cantinas ever existed. But obviously, your characters are not old enough. The books are pretty nonstop action, so they don't stop to eat or drink very much. I will say, though, that like having seen Star Wars as a kid, Mos Eisley was hugely influential to me. I mean, that's part of what made me a monster kid. Like it was that and Godzilla movies and the creature from the Black Lagoon. Having seen those at a young age, I mean, probably like seven, eight, maybe. I remember watching those black and white horror movies with my dad on TV. And I remember watching Star Wars with him on TV. I loved creatures. And that's a thing that is in, like, it's steeped into everything. It's in the Star Wars books. It's in the, the stuff Ben and I are writing now. You see it in the Thrilling Adventure Hour between sci-fi stuff and between horror stuff. Yeah, that's like, Moss Eisley is a bigger influence on me than I think I, I even know. How does cooking help with your creativity? It's better for it. I, I love cooking. Uh, my parents had a cookie company for 25 years when I was growing up, and they sold it about 12, 15 years ago. 
and tried to retire and it didn't take. And then they bought a bakery. And so for the past 12 or so years, they've run a bakery in Boston. My mom in her 60s, maybe got her chef certificate. She went to chef school and got her certificate. Like this has always been part of my life. When I started dating my wife, I was working for my parents at the cookie company. I would go over to my now wife's apartment after work. My shoes would be covered in cookie dough. And she had this little dog who was so happy to see me because of that. (laughs) And I feel like that's a big part of how I won her over. (laughs) So yeah, cooking's always been part of what I do. It's, It's what I do for fun. If I had it to do all over again, it's what I'd do for a career. First time I ever... Heard you, I went to one of your first writer's panel podcasts and you have uh, honestly, for guys, uh, the writer's panel has been the go-to screenwriting podcast. In, in my opinion, obviously there's others out there. And so if you want to debate, you can. But anyway, you have interviewed and talked to and chatted with and powwowed with many writers of all degrees. Are there any common themes or patterns you've noticed throughout the years? of, of their, either their answers or an answer that they give and all of that? It's less about an answer than it is sort of a way of being. I've been doing the writer's panel since about 2012, 2013, talking to writers about the business and process of writing, uh, mostly in television. The common theme that I've discovered is that writing takes both an enormous ego and enormous humility. You have to be able to tell yourself, I'm the only person who can tell this story. I'm the only one who can tell this in the right way or the way that I believe it should be told. But you also have to understand that you're garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That, you know, this business will let you down over and over again. It's going to kick you and kick you and kick you. And so you have to find joy in the process. And you have to be humble enough to say, there's room for other ideas, especially in television writing. The other thing that has come up from day one on the writer's panel is there is no one way to break in. Everybody's story is different. And I know that like writer, young writers or new writers love to hear breaking in stories and want to emulate those stories, but nobody has the same breaking in story. The best you can do is do it well for a long time and have tenacity. Is there advice that, say, a smart, driven, emerging writer should ignore? Ignore all of it, but ignore none of it. It's very improvisational, finding your way in the business. And it's so much about feeling and doing what's right at the time and honing your craft all the while. There's the writing and there's the business. And they're next to each other, but you have to kind of be two different people in both. You have to be humble before the page, but you have to be, I don't want to say assertive, but you have to, you have to feel like you deserve to be there in the industry. And in an industry which tries to keep so many people out, there are so many barriers to entry, kicking down those doors while also remaining humble is a hard balance. And I think it's something that a lot of new writers don't know how to do. And it's something you have to learn by watching and shutting up. But writers also have to have something to say. So you can't shut up all the time, but say it on the page, right? It has to come from you. And you have to feel like what you have to say is important. 
it's full of dichotomy. Embrace them. I'm the uh, head of a studio network. I have pretty much green light power. So I'm either EP, EVP, president, whatever. And I tell you, I need a show or a movie, but you need to center it around your dream restaurant, your dream bar. Like, like that needs to be the cornerstone. What does that look like when it's, it, what is the Ben Black dream fictional restaurant bar? There is something to the family restaurant. And obviously because I grew up in this environment, I'm drawn to it, but there's something about, you know, whether it's Big Night, which to me is the best food movie ever made, in a realistic way showed that running a restaurant is a blue collar job. Like you, my parents worked seven days a week, 18 hours a day. Like they were there all the time, just trying to get the food out, get the product out, get it made and deal with customers. That's a thing that I love seeing on television because I think it's inherently dramatic and tension-filled. It's a thing, again, we saw in Big Night. It's a thing you see in the best shows about family and restaurants. Where can people find you? Here's this amount for, to, for self-plugs. I know you have many different projects going on, uh, many that are available to the public right now. Yeah, I'll say follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker. That's my name. Back in March, after doing a couple of live on Zoom thrilling adventure hours, my wife and I saw that there was a need for a all-in-one virtual venue where you could buy tickets and see shows and where we could actually, like, I learned how to produce shows from doing thrilling so I could apply that to other shows. So we started a virtual venue called HouseSeats.Live, where we have a bunch of great shows going on. We're still setting, like we did the Mr. Show reunion a couple months ago. We did a Briscoe County Junior reunion last month. We did this crazy table read with Ben Stiller and Don Cheadle and like David Cross and Henry Winkler, which was amazing. We're setting our September schedule, but we have some cool stuff coming up, including a reunion of Andy Richter Controls the Universe, which I'm really excited about with Andy and Padgett Brewster and Jonathan Slavin and the whole cast. That should be fun. We're doing a bunch of stuff in September. So go to houseseats.live to see what we have going on. All right. You heard Ben, but just in case you zoned out for whatever reason, buy his comic books and graphic novels at your local mom-pop comic book shop, buy his young adult novels on Amazon, follow him at Twitter at Ben Blacker. That's at B-E-N-B-L-A-C-K-E-R. Download his Audible original, Cut and Run and support the many awesome projects he creates. And finally, listen to the Writer's Panel, Podcast, and Dead Pilot Society. As for Restaurant Fiction, you can always support us in so many ways, but we'd actually just like you to stop this podcast and listen to Ben's. Until next time, I'm Monis Rose, and as always, keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Cut to... Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Night.